We British are, by and large, an orderly people. On one level, that's no great claim to make. It is merely an observation that life on these islands is organised, generally predictable, and largely cooperative, rather than chaotic and anarchic. It is orderly in part because we need to get along, but also because everyday life is heavily rule-governed. Some of these rules are formal, laws and other regulations. Many are informal, the norms and expectations that surround much of what we do. What, we might ask, is peculiarly British about this? Are we distinctively orderly? In one important sense, the answer has to be no. We are similar to a range of other countries we might compare ourselves with, other European nations, for example. They too are largely orderly and rule-bound. But in another sense, the answer is yes. And the reason for that lies in the ways in which we are organised. The regularities of life in Britain differ in some ways, some significant, some subtle, from similar things in other countries. This, of course, is merely another way of saying that it is possible to see some cultural distinctiveness in the ways in which we go about things. It is the way in which we go about things, and the ways in which these have changed, that is our concern here. Our focus is on the patterns of our everyday life, our practices and customs, and our recent history. Britain in the post-war era, and some of the ways in which the organisation of daily life has altered. Undoubtedly, the post-war period has been one of profound social change. After the privations of wartime, by the late 50s, Prime Minister Harold Macmillan said many British people felt they had never had it so good. The 60s were the time of the so-called permissive era. As Philip Larkin wryly suggested, sexual intercourse began in 1963, between the end of the Chatterley ban and the Beatles' first LP. The lights went out and rubbish remained uncollected in the 70s three-day week, and the final decades of the century were dominated by Thatcherism and, subsequently, Tony Blair's third way. We've seen entry into and departure from the European Union, the arrival of the internet and social media, and increasingly dramatic climate change. Arguably, we have also been witness to some potentially significant changes in our sensibilities. The feminist and anti-racist movements have sought to shift attitudes toward and the treatment of women and minorities. Homosexuality has been decriminalised and gay marriage sanctioned. The most recent round of the annually conducted British Social Attitudes Survey suggested that we had continued to become more liberal where matters of law and conformity are concerned, but also more unequal, with greater numbers feeling there was one law for the rich and another for the poor. Not surprisingly, Profound change prompts debate about what it all means. Is it a sign of social improvement or decay? Of moral progress or decline? Certainly we live in times in which there is no shortage of authors offering views on what we're like and where we're heading as a nation. If one can identify a general trend among these observers, it is that a great many are unenthusiastic about various developments, arguing that things are getting worse in one way or another. Whether they are right or wrong about our direction of travel, their diagnosis of what will sell a book is very likely correct. Psychologists have long identified what they call our negativity bias. In essence, the finding that we tend to pay more attention to, and indeed learn more, from bad news than we do good. On a similar but wider canvas, the evolutionary psychologist Steven Pinker has argued that despite the fact that our lives are getting progressively better, we have great trouble acknowledging it. 
Our seeming predisposition to see the past favourably and to be concerned that we're now going to the dogs is sometimes referred to as declinism. According to one historian, the questions what went wrong and who is to blame, both of which are characteristic of declinism, have been staples of British conversation for the best part of a century and a half. We love nothing better, it seems, than discussing our national decline. All of which brings us back to British social order and how we perceive it and talk about it. Here as elsewhere, declinism is not hard to find. The author Lynn Truss, for example, has dedicated a whole book to mourning the apparent collapse of civility in all areas of our dealings with strangers. Truss sees modern Britain as a place which has suffered a dramatic decline in deference and in which a sense of rights, and possibly entitlements, has clearly trumped any notion of responsibilities.